Welcome to Viewpoint on Construction, our podcast series that offers modern takes on a transforming industry. Beyond the latest construction technologies and best practices, this podcast series looks at the innovative ideas, creative voices, and forward-thinking themes that are shaping our industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A Viewpoint on Construction. I remain your host, Wayne Newitz, with Viewpoint, and I am thrilled, as I always say and always mean, to have a wonderful guest for us today. We have with us Basim Hamdi, co-founder and CEO at Brick. Basim, welcome. Hello, Wayne. It was very, very, that's a sincere entry. I, I, I believe you're always, always Dude, excited. I'm like, really? You bought into that? Excellent. I did. Excellent. I did. Right. Be cool. <laughs> My coach is working for me. All right. Excellent. <laughs> Hopefully all you listeners have bought into that too, but I really do mean it. So, uh, Bossum, you and I have got, go back a little bit, and we've worked in the same arena and encountered each other a few times, but the stuff that you're doing now is absolutely fascinating, in part because I don't really fully understand it, and it is, but I recognize, <laughs> but I recognize the potential for this. So, our podcast today, ladies and gentlemen, is, is basically around making business more intelligent, but through some very specific applications of some very fascinating technologies. And so, Basim, let's, I, let me suggest that we start with, uh, a, first of all, a little bit of introduction, what you're doing now, what you're doing at Brick, and then let's dive right into the definitions of the technologies that you're working in, in construction, in data, sure. uh, data manipulation management and, and everything that you do. Take it away, sir. Sure, you know, I'll give you a, like a quick background of who I am. So I, I, you know, for 20 years, I've been in construction technology mm-hmm. and, you know, right after business school, I actually got on a plane and worked in England uh, at a major bank and I worked on the emerging markets desk. And, you know, I thought, you know, I had seen, uh, you know, Wall Street one time too many. Mm-hmm. I thought I wanted to be a trader. And I said, you know, what's great about being in banking is there's so much data and there's so many insights. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, I, the dot com boom started. So that's how old I am. But the <laughs> dot com boom started, and I got on a plane back home because that's where it was happening. And I said, I want to join a startup. Mm-hmm. So I joined a startup based out of Toronto that did construction accounting. Right. And even back then, data was all over the place. Mm-hmm. It, it was, you know, for an industry the size of ours, mm-hmm. data was really hard to understand, was super messy, and generally really unstructured. All right. This... And I said, you know, this is the industry for me, I guess. I, I like to chat with <laughs> All the opportunity, stuff. right? No, tech, yeah, to be a technologist in construction is actually a pretty cool gig right now, right? I mean, there is so much upside, so much potential, but I interrupt. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, no, you waited along, uh, around long enough. Everything that's, uh, you know, something that isn't cool 10 years ago gets pretty cool now. So, yeah, the, the industry... Um, I, you know, I fell in love with the industry. I, to be honest, I thought I was going to be in construction tech for like six months yeah. until I found another gig. Mm-hmm. And the, what really sold me was uh, one of the implementations uh, I got to work on was uh, the Seattle Seahawks Stadium. Oh, neat. And I was working with Turner Construction and they were running the accounting system that we were selling and we needed, they needed help with a closeout. And I got to sit and help close out the Seahawks stadium. And what really that translated to me is, this is the only industry 
where the thing you help build mm-hmm. is there for a hundred years. Oh, exactly. And that's a pretty cool feeling. I just and have then you build the money back and forth and it disappears at one end of the other. But here we're building things that endure. That, that sold me. Absolutely. absolutely sold me. No, no, I have a very similar story. I'll, I'll keep it short. And I know you don't believe me because you know me, but <laughs> no, but my, my, my father worked in a, um, at a power plant out in West Texas years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I, I went to college in Texas. I, lo and behold, I studied engineering, wound up as a co-op student, engineering co-op student at that same plant that my father helped build decades earlier. It was a fascinating experience to me to see something that lasts literally generations. So I agree with you 100%. Thank you for letting me share. Anyway, so, so no problem. Yeah, please continue. Tell us, tell us, you know, where, you know, how that brought to, brought you to where you are now. So, you know, I, I started down that path and with that, with the Toronto based accounting software and we launched something called construction ERP. And our thought was, Hey, if we put everything in the accounting system, the data is going to be good. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, we, you know, we started adding on different modules and products and really the, the rule was you had to put everything in the same database and you'd be able to get insights from them. Mm-hmm. The challenge was, is that. There are so many different parties in construction that have input on the data. Right. So really, if you think about all the data we create, only a portion of that data is actually created by the GC. In a lot of cases, it's just a pass through. But that data needs to be in the system in order to get those insights. So there was just a lack of double data entry that needed to happen. Yeah, yeah. And and flash forward. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to see in construction in particular, it's, it's very difficult of those, you know, if you're in your own business, four walls of your company, it can still be very challenging to get everyone talking, get all the data that you need to run the business. Now, imagine doing that when the places where you work are disparate, remote, all over the place. And, you know, you've got 10, 20, 30 other companies that are feeding you or relying on you for data. Extremely yeah, common. So if we wonder why construction's having some difficulty in adopting technology, I think that's a large part of the answer right there. But once again, I interrupt, sir, please continue. It, it's absolutely true. It's the most complicated supply chain oh, on for the sure. planet. For sure. Uh, the factory floor, floor is outside. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, you don't know necessarily as a general contractor, you don't have really a lot of the labor. You, you contract your labor, you contract the materials, and there's arm rights agreements with about a million different people. And then we expect everything to work out perfectly, um, <laughs> yeah. which is a real challenge. So fast forward, I end up at Procore, um, EVP marketing and enterprise strategy. And we spent a lot of time there talking about APIs and integrations. Right. So going from enter everything in one system to now glue it all together with APIs, Mm -hmm. which requires a a pretty high technical standard of the general contractor to make that happen. Quite frankly, a brilliant idea, but ultimately it's still challenging. It still requires the use of a specific platform to get value from your data. It does. And, 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 and if you don't do that, then it, then it, then you are now, you become the responsible party for maintaining all your system integrations at that point as well, which is usually something that most contractors do not want to sign on to do in my experience. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, exactly. I, I would say you don't self-perform, you know, concrete 
but you're like willing to take the entire tech debt of like 100 <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, and both are challenging in their own way. But uh, as time went on, we started to realize, or I started to realize there was a great market opportunity here to create a, a platform unlike any other one that's ever been created. Mm -hmm. And that is a platform that is Switzerland. We do not have a project <laughs> management app. We are not an accounting app. We are a data consumer, normalizer, <laughs> yep. and predictor. Mm -hmm. And those are all fancy ways is that we, you know, I say it, we hoover up, or for the younger generation, we dice it up data <laughs> wherever we can find it. Right. We normalize it. What that means is we make sense of it. We turn green to red. We translate English to French. Right. We translate Japanese to English. We translate a bunch of different languages and we make it into a, into a fabric that can make, be made sense of. Mm -hmm. And we make sense of data. And that's all we do. We don't want to focus on the next great timesheet app. We just want to glue your data together and then provide you insights. And so if you, you know, taking away all the buzzwords, mm -hmm. what we do is we automate manual business processes so that data is easier to transport. Mm -hmm. I'll give you some examples in a sec. And then once those data is being transported, we normalize it so that it's the same regardless of the project location language. Mm -hmm. And then we use that normalized data to predict outcomes. It does totally. And it, it allows it, it allows you to expand the pool of data that you're using, first of all. And and I would imagine is one of the immediate benefits of of what you what you do and the services that you provide. Talk a little bit about the hoovering or dysoning of these um Roomba-ing of, of of data. Uh, in, 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 you know, it, it's a Roomba, actually. I shouldn't have used Roomba. <laughs> we use, uh, you know, one of the benefits of being a software company that was invented in, you know, the last 18 months mm -hmm. is we get the benefit of a lot of new technology. Right. And one of the technologies that we have adopted is technology that is part of the fastest growing uh, software segment in the history of time. Mm -hmm. not, robotic process automation. I, I, that was on the tip of my. That was on the tip of my tongue. I was going to guess that. Were you really? I know I was not. <laughs> it is actually. This is this is the biggest story for anybody that's listening to this. If anybody's left listening to this, um, UiPath <laughs> is the fastest growing SaaS company ever ever created. Wait, wait. I repeat that one more time. So the the fastest growing software company in the history of time is called UiPath. Uh -huh. All right. Do tell. And it is, it, we use, uh, it's, you know, as everything, it's based on a very large open source product mm -hmm. um, or platform. And we fork the same platform. And basically what it does is it does not use traditional integration methodologies. Mm -hmm. It uses the user experience to hoover up the data and move it. So I'll give you an example. Some of the systems that we deal with do not have APIs. Right. Oh, and for or our, for, for, uh, sorry to interrupt, for our audience, API. Uh, it's a complicated way of saying two computers talking to each other. There you go. An application okay. programming interface. There, thank you. Okay. So that it's basically a language that you would use to plumb together two solutions. Right. If that solution doesn't have 
let's say we're trying to talk to a legacy platform mm-hmm. that doesn't have an API, or more importantly, we're talking to an owner system mm-hmm. who wouldn't give you access to the back end of their application. Right. We actually don't use that kind of technology. We use a technology that is AI based. It's actually human simulated entry and extraction. Fascinating. So our, we teach our system to act like a project engineer, literally, to read like a project engineer, to understand data like a project engineer or a project manager would. So it literally logs in like a human would yeah. and looks for new records or updated records or things that have changed. And, and that's how we pull and push data. Is it fair to say that this is an example of machine learning really being applied in our industry? Is that? Absolutely. Okay. So Absolutely. that that's exciting. This And anyone out there who is excited along with me on this, you get it because all of the power of machine learning and applying algorithms to the massive amounts of data that we've got in this industry has, there's so much upside for us. Uh, I think though, uh, Basma, let's, maybe let's go back and let's kind of build up through the kind of the hierarchy of data technologies, I suppose, maybe starting with, you know, your basic reporting and BI and then, and then kind of explain, you know, what, what is that versus AI versus machine learning versus big data? Because there are all of these terms flying out there, confusing folks like me on a regular basis. Yeah, you know, I think everybody that works in construction knows about the report. Right. I just need that report. Can you print out that report? And the report dot, dot, dot is anything that you could ever imagine. There's always a magic report that needs to be created mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we spend most of our days going, oh, the report doesn't have it. Is the report right? Where's the report? So then the, the next generation of the report becomes about dashboarding. You know, everybody wants a dashboard. So they huddle around a screen with a dial that's red, yellow, and green. Nobody really knows if the data is right, but it's prettier than a two-dimensional <laughs> report. Yeah, and you hope for a lot of green and, and that your boss will be green, right? Like, yeah. Who knows why, but you just, you know. <laughs> so um, what we found is, you know, brick generally swoops in after there's an attempt at some level mm-hmm. to create this universal project health dashboard. And generally, unfortunately, most companies have challenges doing it because it's not their core competency. Mm-hmm. It's not their, you know, not really where they where they live in technology. Right. So they're trying to glue together data from project management, accounting solutions, CRM solutions, but it's very introspective. It also doesn't include, you know, third-party data sources or public data sources. Sure. But they try their best. Generally, they're dealing with relatively old data. 30 to 60 days old. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to plug it all together to create this dashboard. And that's what we're calling business intelligence today. Very reactive, generally, and focused really today on a, what I would call a, a warm blanket in just multicolored dashboards that aren't really used right. to run their business. Yeah, it, it does give um, you, it gives you the impression that you have all of this information at your fingertips, but it does beg the question, are you using any of it? But Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, and with the vast majority of the data in construction offline or unstructured, dashboards are very difficult to be built off of uh, the traditional, you know, data stores that you may be using. Absolutely. 
And as a, and as so, a, as a bit of I'm sorry, as a bit of a tangent there though, uh, unstructured data, which I think is hugely important. Uh, can you explain to us, to our audience here, a little bit about structured versus unstructured data, uh, especially in our industry? Yeah, you, most of the data you get is actually in construction is unstructured, even when we say it's structured. So the the real data in a request for information is the question. Right. An RFI question is by its very nature unstructured. Yeah, uh, we've tried to make our users structure it by having fields around it, but the question itself is a multi-paragraph, you know, opus. Yeah, so, yeah, so it, does, it it doesn't lend itself to a database field where it can then be analyzed, parsed, uh, correlated, etc. It's text. It's not a data element at that point. Yeah, ex exactly. It, it's there. There are multiple data elements, but usually in a in a long text field. Right, and right. that's true for submittals. You know, submittals have the spec book behind it, mm -hmm. but ultimately within the submittal is a bunch of other data. The spec book isn't really meaningful once the specs are in process. You know, we spec something and we say, or, you know, alternative, and then we alternative the hell out of it. And then we close out the project. Right. Neither the twin shall meet between specs and close out. Sure. But the reality is, is that that's all unstructured. Mm -hmm. It's all out there in words. It's not, it doesn't lend itself to a dashboard generally. Now there's some dashboards that actually help your company, but it doesn't generally lend itself to dashboards. Right. It also doesn't lend itself to predictions. And really when you talk about the evolution of what I can do with a report or what I can do with data, it's predictive analytics around what is going to be a problem, not based on data 30 days ago, yeah. but based on the current state of the business. Right. Right, it's dri driving through your through your windshield, not your rear view mirror, essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. We've been driving backwards for a long time in construction. We've been looking <laughs> in the rear view mirror. All all of our forecasting is generally based on this thing called generally acceptable accounting practices gap, mm -hmm. and it's forecast every thirty days for mm -hmm. a project. And no other business on the planet would wait thirty days to get a revenue. <laughs> Good point. Forecast. So that's that's Brick's mission is to get these things to be predictive in real time. And how we do that is um, to just keep it really, really basic is to read things like a human would. And so if you know one of the algorithms that we have right now is we'll read an RFI mm -hmm. and analyze it based on the time frame the question's being asked, whether or not there's going to be a cost impact. Interesting. Now, percent of RFIs have the little checkbox unchecked on any of the systems they use. Right. Because nobody cares to check that box, nobody looks at it. But RFIs are an early indicator to change orders. So if that question is being asked matches a pattern that generally impacts cost or schedule, mm -hmm. somebody needs to know. That's a lot more powerful than a dashboard does. Oh, absolutely, because that piece of information there could could impact the the very beginnings of of a construction project down the road, you know, the estimate, let's say, and we all know that the estimate is typically, if you're bidding for work, where you make or lose money, right? And and the better information you have to do, to do that, well, the better. So I think I'm, I I think I understand this buildup from reporting to dashboarding to now being predictive, looking forward, but needing to have some powerful algorithms to do so. But but here to me, Basim, is, is the big question as a contractor, as I imagine listening to this and going, yeah, pretty cool stuff. Makes a lot of sense. Be predictive. Uh, get ahead of the ball, not behind it. 
But but what are some use cases? What do I actually do with this information? What's my business case? What's the ROI on buying into this? What appears to be fairly sophisticated data analysis. Why should I as a contractor buy into that or buy into the need for it? Help us understand. I, I think the first thing we talk about on these implementations is ROI. And it, you've got to be doing this for a reason. Sure. And you know, we use an analogy like, let's say you drive the same route to work every day in a, you know, a Chevy Cavalier and it mm-hmm. takes you 45 minutes because of traffic. Mm-hmm. And then you buy a Tesla, but you bought, you take the same route. Well, it's still going to take you 45 minutes. The Tesla doesn't fly. Right. So the wait, hold on. We, Are you sure? I haven't checked, I haven't checked Elon's tweets yet. Today, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, the point is that you need to automate some portion of the workflow. So we generally start with automation, which is actually the first step to ROI. So for example, some of you might have seen a video I put on LinkedIn, just showing the connection between a project management system owned by the general contractor communicating with an owner's project management instance. Mm-hmm. So an RFI going to the GC system, automatically showing up in the owner system, it being answered and then it returning to the GC system in a product we call Brick Chronicle. Mm-hmm. That is what we call RPA. That is the automation of really crappy double data entry that you're being forced to do. That by far gives you the quickest path to ROI is by automating the workflows that generally humans have been forced to do for double data entry. So focusing on those automations first, the first thing we always say is mm-hmm. whatever a human do, the brick platform can also do at scale. Right, right. So it doesn't, like it doesn't embed data. It, it can only you know, move data that exists. Right, at, at scale and without the uh, the inevitable human right. error factor, right, that goes Absolutely. into, you know, we all, we've been talking about double entry in this industry that you and I have been in for a number of years, and it's not just the time, it's the error, and the errors can uh, can be magnificent, and I don't mean that word in a, in a, in a nice way. Uh, as, as you're mentioning these things, I'm thinking back to an experience. I was uh, speaking to one of uh, my senior PM friends um, up at a large Seattle GC, and I said, uh, you know, uh, hey, Vince, take me through an actual change order on this project. You know, no details, don't need to know that, but I just want to see the flow, the workflow. As you mentioned, you know, this began with an RFI, right? And then it became a change order ultimately. He took me through, again, the unstructured data, 17 discrete communications, email or phone, went on as part of the approval process for this change order. How long do you imagine it took for 17 human beings to connect, get approvals and move on, right? In an unautomated fashion. Dramatic savings of time were potentially there for this company if they had used this technology. But I interrupt. Please, I'm sure you have many other stories to share with our audience, Basim. What are some of the other ways that you've seen contractors make use of this powerful predictive analysis? You know, one of the most exciting is the automation of the material supply chain Mm. that we've seen out there. Mm -hmm. And actually, there's a company in Australia that's using Brick, um, not just the predictive side, but also the blockchain, which underpins our data lake to track the manufacturing of these facade Mm -hmm. panels. Right. That are actually built in China, assembled in China, and put into containers, shipped to Melbourne, delivered to site, and then installed. Yeah. Prior to Brick, the data really was just everywhere. It was Excel, it was PDFs, it was photos in some mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. 
What Brick was able to do is organize that data across about 25 different systems. It's actually even integrating with uh, these things called IoT devices or mm-hmm. sensors that tell us where the data, where the panels are at any given time. Right. So the top drawings are created, transmitted, the uh, manufacturer acknowledges them, puts them on a line, builds them out. The, the information is tracked all the way to actual installation. Wow. So that is a huge step forward from having a human go in there and, you know, put in a daily log or a checkbox to say, yeah, this thing was delivered. This is the entire lineage. And we use the blockchain in order to underpin the trust of the data. So mm-hmm. we know that data was messed with. And we're actually in the next iteration of this workflow uh, involving the banks so that payments can actually be driven off those trusted transactions. Beyond the standard, you know, here's a purchase order and hope for the best that something actually shows up. (laughs) Right, right. Well, hey, there's there your banking experience came in handy then, I guess. Um, there you go. That that's powerful what you just described. And in what you just described was a word that you probably knew I was going to call out and ask about uh, because as uh, as we were chatting earlier, I have the WikiLeaks level of understanding of this term, and it is the term blockchain. So, sir, if you would for us, yeah. assume that we know very little. Uh, at least I'm speaking for myself, for sure. Uh, tell us about blockchain and also then about how that fits into your schema and your technologies and, and its role in your data lake, et cetera. Uh, for sure. You know, I spend a, a large part of my existence in the last couple of years explaining what blockchain is. <laughs> I'm sure. The first thing I generally say is forget everything you know or have heard about blockchain and let's just talk about it, you know, in a, in a very simplistic way. I think people have overcomplicated the meaning of blockchain. Right. And blockchain is a technology that replicates a, and distributes a data store. Mm-hmm. So it replicates the same data multiple times to make it harder to screw with. Simplest way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that's I mean that's basically what it does. It, it creates it's like it's like a cell splitting in your body. It creates copies of itself so that it's harder to tamper with. That's what a blockchain does. It is technology that's been around for over a decade. And it's technology that is, it's not a question of does blockchain eventually change the way data is stored? Mm -hmm. It is when does blockchain change the way data is stored? Data is at risk without blockchain technology. That's just a fact. Yeah, we have pockets of it, right? Little pockets of data all over the place, even in larger data centers. That's still a big pocket, but it's still a pocket, right? Yeah, exactly. And it, there might be, you know, an audit trail around changes in the database, mm-hmm. but ultimately the reality is the data can be messed with, essentially. Sure. And what blockchain does to not only store it multiple times, but it also gives it a key. And that key is like a fingerprint. Every data record gets a fingerprint. And that fingerprint can't be changed. If the data, underlying data was changed, mm-hmm. the fingerprint would be different. Right. Like that's, that's the overarching encryption algorithm of the data. Right. So, so what is it? it yeah, the data, the data carries its own encryption with it is a fair way to say that then? In, in a way, it actually sends it to a, a way, it sends it into, it's just math equation. It sends it into a math equation and mm-hmm. it returns a very specific 
set of numbers. Got it. So, numbers and letters. Right. And so that, you know, it's, it looks like a password essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, that data gets locked down essentially with that key. Mm -hmm. So if you were to go in and change it, if you were to go say, change a yes to a no, yeah. the key would change. So therefore you would not have that record as what we call immutable. So all blockchain is in the implementation that um, would impact construction the most mm -hmm. is a better way to store data oh. and to store it more securely and in a better encrypted format with more trust. Basim, on, be on behalf of our audience, or at least me, because I might just be the only one, thank you for demystifying that for us. We appreciate it. It makes complete sense to me. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, amazingly fancy algorithms behind it all to make it secure and give you that type of access and redundancy, but it does sound powerful. Uh, where are we? Where are we in implementing this technology, whether it be in our industry or just in general? Yeah, you know, the first live blockchain was launched by our company, Brick, you know, in Australia. So it, it's there. I mean, this is technology that is currently in use. Mm -hmm. uh, we use, with our partnership with IBM, we use a, a block, underlying blockchain technology called Hyperledger. Mm -hmm. Just like somebody might use an Oracle database or a Microsoft database, we use an, I, you know, an open source project called Hyperledger, right. hosted in IBM Cloud. Uh -huh. And that is, I mean, it's a live thing. This is Early adopters are already using and gaining the value of this technology. So um, it's out there and other industries, you know, are using it. Walmart is probably one of the larger implementations of blockchain and hyperledger in regards right. to managing their supply chain. So it's just a way that will limit the number of ways a resolution or a dispute may occur. I said yellow, you said green. We at least have a referee now that says, well, it was green. And, and that's where exactly. I think the power really comes. It makes perfect sense uh, now that you describe it that way. It makes perfect sense that this is finding its way into construction first. I mean, I found it a bit ironic. Here is a relatively brand new technology and it's hitting our industry first. How cool or, or amongst the first. Right. And but it makes sense. Our supply chains are complex and disparate. And the number of companies that get involved in any in the success or not of any project can be very numerous. These are all things that kind of beg the need for this type of solution. I've heard it called a distributed general ledger. Is that at all accurate or is that misleading in your opinion? Blockchain, of course. You know, the term might be distributed ledger, mm -hmm. um, distributed ledger technology. That's another term for, for a blockchain. So that yeah. is not misleading. A ledger, a general ledger, right. hyper ledger at the history of accounting. So mm -hmm. there, there's a ledger involved. Okay. Um, and no, it is distributed. Um, in order to make it immutable, non-changeable, it does distribute itself. It makes copies of itself and mm -hmm. sends it all over the place. So it is, it is something that is distributed. So that is an actual, very good way of saying it. And actually DLT or distributed ledger technology uh -huh. is a better way to call it because it takes away all the connotations of tokens. I, I completely and, agree. I like, except for the fact that it adds yet another TLA into my life and you all know what TLAs are, right? Three letter acronyms. Uh, I like that description. Thank you for that. As we see these technologies emerge, as as and as you've been describing, multiple different but very related technologies. What are you most excited about? Are you most you know as you wake up in the morning and you go, "Wow, I can't wait to advance 
you know, the, the industry and, and through my company's work in X. Well, what is X? What is that technology? What, where are you headed? What, what's your vision? You know, our overall vision, I, I share a, a story that is near and dear to my heart and I'll change the names, but we, we went to a university system in the Southeast about 10 years ago. I was with my old company and uh, they had just gotten, it was a university that had just gotten large endowment. Mm-hmm. And they were building a lot. They had a big expansion plan. And during that expansion plan, um, we said, well, you need technology to manage at least some of this data. And they said, no, nah, it's okay. You know, we built everything and a paper to date and we're, we're just going to move forward. Well, flash forward three or four years and there's a uh, pedestrian bridge that collapses and kills a dozen people. Ugh. And that's, and that's happening in a first world country. Mm-hmm. People forget 35 E and they forget about millennium tower. They forget about Salesforce tower and they forget about the Salesforce transportation hub, but we have construction failures occurring at an extremely high rate. Sure. And, you know, it might be a crazy moonshot, but one day I want people to say, you know, check that design with brick, check the data with brick so that they could validate and predict whether there is going to be a significant failure. And yes, it might not be 100% accurate, but day one, these predictions, but over time, it will get better and better and better. Well, and, my, and yeah. bringing that level of assurance to the construction process is, you know, again, it's a moonshot, but my vision, hopefully that's my legacy. Well, you know, Basim, I'll, I'll tell you this, in my opinion, if I may, knowing you and knowing that you'll, you've likely succeeded in just about everything you've ever done. We had a moonshot. We had someone advocate for a moonshot back in the 1960s. And by gosh, we did it. I would say, and we did it in nine years, right? I would say this might be a moonshot, but from what you described, if we can reduce by 1% the number of safety incidents in our industry, you know, three people die a day in construction. If we can do anything that reduces those odds, we, we can all say that we have, we have lived a good life and done some good work. And that is true of this technology. It's true of many technologies. It's just true of running better operations. And a lot of the things we've been talking about, ultimately, that's what we are here to talk about through technology. So I'm going to hop off my soapbox now, if that's all right with everyone. And, um, and Basim, first of all, I want to thank you for sharing your well, just the, the top surface of the wealth of your knowledge that I know you have in this industry with technology. But what I want to do, and, and I, don't, I don't think I warned you about this, Basim, but we have a chicken. We have a chicken here as part of our, our he's, a, he's on contract, he's not a, not a full-time employee. Uh, as part of our podcast and and Basim, every every um, every podcast we do, we ask the chicken to announce the nugget. And the nugget, sir, is the one thing, the one thing that you want people to take away from this discussion. So if I may, chicken, you're on. <laughs> What's your nugget for everybody? What's the one thing that you'd like people to remember? You have more data than you think and that you can really do a lot with the data you already have. I think that's just a a good starting point. That's perfect. Yeah, you've got a closet. It's labeled data. You should look in there once in a while. There might be some magical things. I guarantee that yeah. there are. It, it's a you know we have another saying. It's like it's like an industry with amnesia. Every time you you know you go into one project, you forget what's happened yesterday. So it's <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's time to just start. You know, stop trying to go to the next shiny object and and deal with the the reality that you have today. Yeah, learn from the past, but but drive drive looking forward into the future. I couldn't agree with you more, sir. 
I couldn't thank you more for your expertise and your time today with us all. Basim Hamdi, thank you, sir. And by the way, let folks know how, if they want to learn more, if they want to reach out, contact you or your firm, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you know, go to our website, www.br.iq, literally, br.iq. Interesting. So brick, brick, but br.iq. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, Basim, once again, thank you very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all very much. And we hope to have you back for another Viewpoint on Construction. Take care, all. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Check back for new podcasts at Viewpoint.com or on the same channel. Craving more thought leadership pieces? Check out our Viewpoint Surveyor blog at blog.viewpoint.com, which is updated several times per week with the latest news, industry best practices, and much more.